a good morning. Because I'm, I'm going to do a combination of sitting and standing. <clears throat> when I sit, it's because I'm super nervous. <laughs> and when I stand, it's because I'm tired of sitting. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to pray for us, first and foremost for myself, because I need it. Um, and then secondly, for everyone here, because we all need it when we come to the Word, when we come to church, we need to hear God's Word afresh. Um, we need our hearts open, our hearts humble to receive what he has for us. So let me just pray for us before we jump in. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this new morning, this new day that you've blessed us with, for the Lord's day, because this is the day that you have made, um, and we can rejoice and be glad in it. And I do pray for each and every one of us as we sit here, myself especially, um, that we may have hearts that just receive from you directly. Um, Lord, we know that we are here to hear from you um, and I pray that this message will reach the hearts of everyone sitting here. Uh, we know that your word is powerful to change. It's powerful to um, bring about new life within us. Um, and I do pray for that for each and every one of us this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Great. So the invention of the Gutenberg Bible, ach, the Gutenberg Bible, the Gutenberg Press that led to the Gutenberg Bible, um, was one of the greatest inventions of Western society. Um, John Gutenberg's lifetime from around 1400 to 1450, so that's the guy that invented the Gutenberg Press. Um, during his lifetime, there were about 20, 30,000 books in the entirety of Europe. So think about that. Only 20 to 30,000 books in the entirety of a country. Um, there weren't a lot. It, it, it took a lot of effort to write and make books. So you would have to go to a scribe. The scribe would have to get the original copy some way, and then they would have to start copying from the one to the other. Um, it was meticulous. If they made a mistake, um, they wouldn't just throw away the book. Um, they'd tear out the page and have to start the whole thing again. Um, it was time-consuming. It was um, very expensive. Uh, the rich and the Roman Catholic churches were usually the only ones with books, because the rest just couldn't afford it. Um, and it, when, when it comes to the Bible, um, it was also just um, in Latin. Um, so not everyone could read it. So the priests would come up, they would know Latin, some of them. Um, very often it was just rote, um, but they would be the only ones that would read from the Bible. So having a book, very expensive, it just didn't happen. Until Johannes Gutenberg comes, he invents the printing press, and within... 50 years from when he invents it, so we have 20 to 30,000 books in Europe. So within 50 years, that jumps up to about 12 million books. What a big jump. <laughs> um, now it's inexpensive, it's easy to make books, and a little bit later, because of Martin Luther and people like him who paved the way for people like us, the everyday churchgoer, to have Bibles in their own language, all of a sudden, people could read the Bible for themselves. Now, imagine you, you sitting there, you've got the Bible, and they were huge because they, they didn't have tiny font, um, and you're opening it up, and now you're reading the story of God for the first time for yourself. Um, you're reading about this God who creates everything. Um, he creates creatures specifically to top it off um, in his own image to, to rule this creation. Um, and everything is good. Everything goes well. Um, and shortly after, and like shockingly shortly after, um, these creatures turn away from what God wants them to do. Um, they start doing their own thing. So this big fall happens, but God just doesn't leave his people. 
Um, he has a plan. Um, he has a purpose for everyone, and he starts working with these people. Now, what's amazing is, imagine reading this for the first time. We're used to the Bible, unfortunately, a lot of us. And we hear the stories, we, we read it for ourselves, but if you're reading this for the first time and you're looking at these miracles that God is performing, you're looking at these people that keep failing, yet God is so gracious towards them. You're looking at this God that, that can heal any and every disease, um, this all-powerful God, and you're just reading this. And for the first time, we have churchgoers like you and me that start to find rest in the Bible. Because now they're reading it, and they're starting to know and learn about their God. And the Word starts to rejoice their hearts. It starts to rejuvenate their, rejuvenate their souls, and it starts to enlighten their eyes. Because they could start to experience rest like never before, because they could, they could rest in God's story, they could rest in His promises, and they could rest in His authority. And those are the three things that I think will bless us this morning about finding rest in God's Word. Um, we find rest in God's story and His promises, and we find rest in His authority. So let's look at the first one. Resting in God's story has a lot to do with our deep need for belonging. This is one of our basic desires. Um, to, to an extent, every person on earth desires to belong. I think it's a basic need of every person. Um, we, we want to feel like we are accepted, valued, appreciated, like we have a purpose. All these have to do with our basic feeling of belonging. And I think that's why we love stories so much. Because when we find a story, a good story, it's usually because there's someone, a character, um, an idea in the story that we relate to. And we just live ourselves into it. Or if we, if we feel like it's so different from the way that we live, we live ourselves into the story because that's where I want to be. I want to belong in this story because my life story, I just, I'm not finding belonging. And so we love a good story. We want people to share our hearts, our hopes, our dreams, our passions. Because if we don't find that, we become restless. And day after day, we try and find ourselves a story where we can belong. There's a restlessness that comes to us when we don't find belonging. And this brings us to the Bible, because when we read the Bible, there is written in it a great story of belonging. Some of the greatest characters in the Bible are failures, vagabonds, people who lose their way, who over and over again do the wrong thing. In difficult situations, they find themselves just not coping. We find people who are outcasts. Now, these are people that we can connect with because all those things are things that we ourselves go through. Now, these people um, are timeless in the way that we relate to them because like how they were, we ourselves are. And that's something about the Bible that is quite amazing. It's not just a story for two plus thousand years ago because of the people that lived that long ago. 
Um, but the truths there, the, the people's experiences are timeless, and we can just relate to them. Now, what's amazing is the way that they have found their story. It wasn't because they outperformed others, outwitted others, were amazing people, or they just loved God fantastically. These were people who were drawn into God's story of redemption by God himself. He made them part of his story, and he gave them a place of belonging. Now imagine someone does that to you. And someone outside of yourself comes to you, looks at you, but like really looks at you and says, I love you. And I want you on my team. Like, I want you to be a part of my family. The belonging that that person creates for you does something amazing to people. And if we read the Bible, we just see this over and over again. God gives people belonging. He places them in his family and they are able to do things that we just cannot comprehend. Things within their own power, within their own strength, that would fail, these people are able to do because they are not now part of their own story, doing their own thing. God has made them a part of his story, and he empowers them to live the life that he wants them to live. When I know that I am part of God's story, when I am living out his purposes, that he has for me, then I rest. I don't have to be someone that I'm not. I don't have to try and look for places to belong because the objective truth is, Simeon, you belong, you are loved, and that's how God sees you. So much rest. So much rest. Now, the second thing that we rest in when we read the word are God's promises. So we're resting in God's story deals with our desire and our need for belonging. We find that resting in God's promises deals with our, our desire, our need for security and for surety. So how many among us here stress about finances, about family, about the future, if you're not raising your hand, you're either asleep. <laughs> I think that's the only option. You're asleep or you didn't hear the list. Finances. <laughs> so in a very real sense, these are things that each and every one of us are tempted to stress over. Um, because these are places that we just simply do not have control over. We don't have control over our finances, our health, um, our security, our provision. We can do our best, but our best isn't complete security. That's just not how it works. And that creates a fear within us. And this fear brings about restlessness because you're, you're running after anything and everything that brings you safety and surety. And this is where promises come in. Um, promises carry weight to them. And the weight of a promise is determined by the trustworthiness and the ability of the person that makes the promise to keep it. That makes sense. Trustworthiness and ability go together. If a person is absolutely trustworthy, you know they are going to keep their promise as they intend to. But if they don't have the ability to do it, it's not very helpful. 
you can be very trustworthy. People can know that you want to do something and you intend to do something, but something just happened and you couldn't do it. You didn't have the ability, for whatever reason, to carry through. On the other hand, you have someone who has the ability to keep promises, yet is not trustworthy. Very unhelpful. These promises, unfortunately, do not carry any weight. Now, here's the amazing thing about the promises of the God of the Bible. It is impossible for God to break a promise. And that's so for two very important reasons. Um, and they have to do with the attributes of God. Now, this is a, where I jump in, theology nerd, and I just love speaking about these things. So the attributes of God, when you speak of attributes, we speak of the inherent qualities of something. So if I, for example, had a ball, the attributes of a ball would be round, roundness, and solid, solidity. It's solid. It's round and it's solid. That's what makes a ball a ball. If a ball isn't round and it's square, it's not a ball. Like, it's just not how it works. Or if a ball, I want to say it's, it's round, but it's made out of water, like, it's liquid. You can't have a ball in liquid form. That's just it's not how it works. So a ball has to be round and it has to be solid. Those are the attributes of a ball. So when we speak about God, we speak about certain qualities, attributes that he has that make him God. Because he is God, he has these attributes. And two very important ones come in when we think about promises are truthfulness. We speak about the truthfulness of God, his attribute to be completely true in what he says and what he does. He is not false. He cannot lie. The Bible says he is not like man that he lies. He is unable to lie. And the second thing, and this is the cool one, is his omnipotence. Fancy word for meaning he has all the power, all the ability to accomplish whatever he desires to accomplish. He's truthful. He makes a promise. He intends to keep the promise. And he has all the ability necessary to make, or to keep the promises that he makes. So when we read God's story, we find a myriad of God's promises. God promised a 70-plus-year-old man and wife that they're going to have a child. And they did. God promised Moses that his people, the Israelites, would make it out of Egypt. And they do. God promised the land of uh, the land, Canaan, to the Israelites. And they receive it. God pro promises to bless those that obey him. And he does. Over and over and over again, God is making promises and keeping them. Now, the Bible is one great testimony of God's faithfulness and his ability to keep promises. And that brings us security and surety. We are restless when we don't have those things. But when we meet someone who is able to give us security and surety, we find rest. And that's what the God of the Bible does. He promises he keeps those promises, and in those promises, we start to find rest. Now, when we know God's promises for us, we go from restless fearing to a secured rest. And now we start to read the Bible, especially now knowing that God's attributes are truthfulness and omnipotence. We go, God has made promises to me. He can't break them. This is amazing. Okay, but what are God's promises? 
<laughs> that's, what, that's the next question. So if you know he can't break a promise, now we're going to start looking for the promises that God makes to us. Um, and here's a little um, caveat. Not every promise in the Bible is for us as Christians. Some promises God made for the Israelites, for other people. Um, and God kept those to them. And then there are promises that God makes for us as Christians specifically. And these are the promises that we need to start finding rest in. So here, at the top there, um, on the screen, we have a couple of promises, just a few of them that we can read in the Bible. So Romans 1 verses 16 through 17, God promised salvation to all who believe in His Son. All who believe in His Son. So if you're a person that believes in His Son, you have salvation. You're not excluded. There's no person who thinks, I'm too special to be excluded from the promise of God's salvation. If you believe in His Son, there's a surety and security in His salvation. Romans 8.28 speaks about the, um, that God will work all things together for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. All things in your life. Are you going through a difficult time? The promise is God is going to use that for good. Wow. So I messed up big time. I repent. And here's a strange promise. God is even going to use that for good somehow. I, I just need to trust. You're going through a good time. Great. God can use this. And that's amazing. And I'm starting to feel a lot more restful because of these promises. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 to 4, God promised to comfort us in our trials. The God of all comfort will comfort you. Are you going through a difficult time? Do you know this promise? Because you can rest securely in it. Ephesians 1 verse 3, God promised every spiritual blessing in Christ. If we could imagine and start to comprehend what this means for us, the security that it would bring, do we know God's promises? Philippians 1 verse 6, God promised to finish the work He started in us. Are you struggling in your Christian walk? I do sometimes, if not often. What is the promise? What is the security and surety that God will accomplish and finish what He started within me? Philippians 4 verses 6 to 7, God promised peace when we pray. When we bring our prayers with what thanksgiving to Him, God promises us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is an amazing testament as well. I'm sure some of you have experienced this. You've brought this big issue to God. You've prayed about it. You've thanked Him that, that He's in control. He's going to work things together for good. And all of a sudden, what would paralyze the normal person worrying about this issue, I've got rest because of security and surety that God is going to keep the promise that he made. Matthew 6, verses 33, and Philippians 4, verse 19, God promised to supply our needs. Who stresses about their needs being supplied? I need surety and security in that. And the promise is God will supply everything that I need. And if he doesn't give me something, what, what does that mean? Maybe for this time, maybe for this period, I don't need it. Maybe he, he will give it to me soon. 
These are all things that we rest in when we know that God is a God who is truthful and able to keep every one of his promises, and we can rest in them. And the third one is resting in God's authority. So we are restless because we, we don't know what we're doing. And we also don't trust others who are in authority to show us the way. Is that not so? You get into a situation and you go, I'm stressing because I don't know what to do. Or, as is common experience to all of us, there's a governing body above us and we feel like they don't know <laughs> what to do. There's an authority over us that we just don't trust and that brings restlessness. Now, this goes back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, and that's what makes this one so interesting, um, is because of the sin of Adam and Eve, the rebellion in the Bible, the, f the fall of mankind, where God gave Adam and Eve everything um, to live in harmony and peace and the goodness that he created, and the temptation came, decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. Don't trust God. Do your own thing, and you'll be like God. God decides what is good and evil, so if you want to be like him, decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. And that has been ingrained into us ever since. So we all have this garden within our hearts that from birth, this tree is planted in us, and we care for it. We water it. We prune it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we eat from it often. And that tree has to be cut down because it causes restlessness within our lives. I rest when I don't have to trust myself with what is good and what is evil. When we read the Bible, we see a God who is in control. And they say his foundation or the foundation of his throne is righteousness. Love, faithfulness go out before him. This God who rules over creation is the one that knows what is good and what is evil. He knows what's best for us. He knows what we should keep away from. And the Bible is full of instructions from this God to us. But we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to submit to God? Or am I going to keep pruning and watering the tree of knowledge of good and evil in my own heart? We are restless when authority above us isn't trustworthy, isn't good, is leading us astray. Now, the promise of the Bible is that there is a God who is trustworthy, who leads us into righteousness, into right living. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean we obey just like that because it's simple. But when we have a life submitted to his authority, an amazing thing happens. We find rest. Because it's no longer determined by me what is good and what is evil, but by a God who knows so much more than I do. Now, at some point, when you're reading the Bible, um, you come across Jesus. It just happens. <laughs> um, and if we read Matthew 11, 28, verses 30, we read his statement that says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, you can read this and go, Oi, I have no idea what that means. Like, how do I rest in Jesus? And we've had some great sermons and some great examples giving us a clue, an indication, some direction in how we should think and feel about rest. But I think when we take into consideration God's story, God's promises, and God's authority, that also gives us a lot of rest when we read a verse like this. So when we look at Jesus, we see the climax of the unfolding of God's story. We read about the beginning, the creation, the fall, God's plan of redemption, and it all bolds and escalates into this one moment, this one person that becomes the climax, the pinnacle of God's story. And what's amazing is he, he, Jesus, the main character of his own story, is rejected, is treated like a villain through what he does. Why? So that we can be taken from our stories and put into God's story. So when we go to Jesus, we see him as the most important person in God's story that is able to take us from ours and put us into his. What about God's promise? Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. From before the foundations of the earth, God promised to save for himself a people. He promised to send a king, a prophet, a priest, a shepherd, a savior, a suffering servant that would make all things new. And in Jesus, we see those promises fulfilled. Jesus is the ultimate keeping of the promise of God. And when we go to him, we rest in that promise. Us, who break promises all the time, can go to him who keeps promise forever. And when we put our trust in him, we are not only saved, but we become servants, citizens in the new kingdom. And guess who is the king of this kingdom? Who is our ultimate authority? Jesus. So Jesus becomes Lord of our lives because he is always in perfect alignment with God. He does the will of the Father. And he becomes our king. So Jesus is the climax of God's story. He's the fulfillment of God's promise. And he is Lord. So go to Jesus because he is the way into the story of God by which we can find rest through belonging. Go to Jesus because he is the promised security and surety by which we find rest. And go to Jesus because he will lead us and guide us into everlasting green pastures where we will always and forever find rest. So when we read the verse, come to me all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will bring you rest. 
That's the rest that we can expect from Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we are in awe to know that you keep your promises. You've planned from the beginning of creation and even before that your story would include us, pulling us from darkness and putting us into your kingdom of light. A promise fulfilled through Jesus Christ, whom you sent to die for us, the greatest sacrifice. Raising him from the dead, you have made him Lord over all. And I pray, Father, that we may find rest in who he is, what he has done for us. May we have your story in mind when we read the Bible. May we look for your promises, Father. And may we submit ourselves humbly, joyfully to your authority. I pray this for each and every one of us who needs rest, that we may find rest in you. I pray this in your name. Amen.